to the water cooler. Yes. Cheers. The Water Cooler Show about marketing, sales, and technology. Each episode, we focus on bringing you advice that works. Today, we're joined by Rand Fishkin, who is the CEO and co-founder of Spark Toro. He's formerly, formerly co-founder and CEO of Moz. Uh, he's the co-founder of Inbound.org, which I, I used to love and go to every single day. And he's the author of Lost and Founder, A Painfully Honest Field Guide to the Startup World, which is a wonderful book. As far as I'm concerned... As far as I'm concerned, as a marketer, Rand Fishkin is, is on Mount Rushmore uh, of modern marketers. He is someone who, who inspires Chris and I, someone that we've looked to to think about marketing in a different way and someone that I've learned from for the better part of a decade now. So, Chris, I'm excited to have a, a wide-ranging conversation with Rand today, dive into a bunch of different topics, but I want to start the show off. Mm-hmm. This is starting to feel like a joke now. we got to do this, Chris. Start the show off with some good news. Let's keep it going, man. Yeah, this is Christmas. week, it's getting harder. But you know what I was thinking about today, Jimmy, is the good news is the conversations are happening. Mm-hmm. The good news is people are speaking up. The good news is the gurus are speaking up. Mm-hmm. The good news is the companies are speaking up. Like, there's always been this silent wall between brands. Now, let's be honest. There's some companies like Nike that have talked about social justice issues. Yeah. But overall, it's always been a little bit taboo. You know, you and I are typically people who keep our political preferences and our social causes. Like we donate and we do things, but we don't, like I had a podcast where I said, you shouldn't turn a tragedy into traffic. Mm -hmm. But this is different. And it has been captivating. It's been inspiring watching the public support Mm-hmm. Uh, for whether it's Black Lives Matters or George Floyd and his family, uh, every company that I admire has spoken up and donated. Every guru and thought leader that I look up to has, has had an article about it or has put out content on Twitter about it. So the, the good news is, fingers crossed, I think some things are going to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the good news is everybody got arrested. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the good news is uh, we, we still live in a country where you can protest mm-hmm. and where you can exercise your right to disagree. Um, this is like anything we've ever seen. So I would say it'll be interesting to see what happens longer term mm-hmm. because we're speaking up about this. Does, is this going to now create an environment where brands speak up about other social justice issues? Domestic violence, homelessness. I think companies have an ability sometimes to make a bigger impact, whether it's their hiring practices or the amount of money they can donate. You know, especially Silicon Valley, right? You've got these multi-billion dollar unicorns and businesses that are just rolling in the dough. And now they're stepping in and they're donating and they're getting matches. And, you know, I saw the CEO of Slack and the CEO of Dropbox, like all these companies the gloves have come off and people are speaking up and standing out. And I think that's good news, Jimmy. Rand, I'm going to ask you a tough question to start here. Sure. And I, I know that you've got this question from a lot of people. I'm going to try to ask it differently or better if I can. But I read two articles that you wrote uh, recently on the Spark Toro blog. One was called Marketing Right Now is Effing Hard. And one was called Read the Room. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the takeaways that I have from the article, one thing you mentioned was that internet traffic is up 50%. Mm -hmm. 
You also said those who invest while others pull back will have advantages now and in the future. You pointed out that from, uh, this was from Harvard, on average, increases in marketing spend during a recession have boosted financial performances throughout the year following the recession. So there are some indicators that say, you know, push when other people are pulling back. But with COVID-19, with George Floyd and the protest, people are afraid to promote their business, but we also are in a world where people need to promote their business. The economy's not doing yeah. good. We need customers. So my first question is basically like, what should our marketing calendar look like right now? Yeah. I, first off, let me just say that we're recording this um, during the, the first week following, you know, George Floyd's murder and, um, and, and, you know, just, just last night, right today, the, the other three officers were, were charged and arrested. Um, uh, and so I think this week is a great week to shut up about everything that is not centered on, uh, black lives, racial injustice on, on police brutality. I think this is a great week to be, to be, uh, quiet publicly with your push marketing and instead to have those reflective conversations internally. And look, if you have some productivity left, if you have some bandwidth left, um, I think it, it is a great time to uh, potentially invest that more internally, right? O your own structures and systems, your, um, you got things you need to fix on your website, you got things you need to fix in your email marketing, you got things you need to fix in your uh, uh, UI and UX in your product not a bad time if you still have bandwidth left after those things to mm -hmm. be quiet and, and sort of work on internal structures. I do think, I don't think it'll be next week. Maybe, maybe it will be, maybe it'll be the week after, uh, but just like the start of the coronavirus, you know, in, in late February or into early March, those, those first few weeks of March where there's just a ton of uncertainty, the conversation doesn't leave a lot of air in the room for anything else. Um, I think now is a time when uh, we can do, we can be a little quieter and then uh, use the, the efforts that we've made mm -hmm. to invest in the future. Mm -hmm. And I will say, I think that when there is an economic downturn, like we're seeing right now, Chris and Jimmy, mm -hmm. right? One of the things that I really have been urging people to do and that I've seen be successful, because many folks are saying, I don't understand, Rand, how I can make marketing investments when my customers don't have dollars to spend. Mm -hmm. Right, they are pulling back their spending. How am I supposed to get them to spend with me? And that is a really fair critique. And the best answer that I have is invest in doing two things right now, helping people get through this in ways that build up uh, uh, their trust, their knowledge of your brand, uh, the likability of your brand, the, the brand affinity that people feel and invest in pent up future demand by capturing uh, the email addresses and the traffic and the, the followers of people who uh, that your brand resonates with and who you know when they do have this problem in the future and they have the budget for it, they'll invest with you. I think mm -hmm. those, are, those are the wise things to be doing. So what you're saying is, if it'll recap that, this idea of build your audience and build that brand association or brand affinity in the absence of being able to actually sell. You know, we had this, uh, this was in the midst of the, the coronavirus, which we, we would say like, you know, nurturing is now the new selling. Yeah. We would, yeah. 
you know, we'd say we, we would promote that. Um, let's talk about this idea because this, this is this is let's fast forward here to the point in which businesses feel like they now can get back to normal. Like whenever that happens. Right. Let's fast forward to that moment. OK. Uh, you know, one of the things I think everyone who's watching right now is just we have to be sympathetic because I think everyone's you know eager to kind of like get back to just on business as normal. And obviously we want to be sympathetic to what's happening, but I think a lot of business owners are like, they, they're struggling and, and they, and they're going to have to start from zero and start from scratch basically in a lot of ways for many of them who have been maybe just listening and reflecting. You're, you're someone who, you know, talked about this publicly and I thought you'd be able to share some insight on this rant. You talked about publicly like leaving a company, starting a new company, having to start over. I think for for a lot of a lot of our audience who's watching right now, they saw their revenue decline month after month after month for three straight months to the point where it essentially crippled their business. Now they're having to rebuild from the ground up. What is your advice to those people who fall into that category who are having to start over and and, and want to do so in such a way where they don't feel bitter about the past or what's been happening to them and they can look with some optimism to, you know, what the next chapter looks like. Yeah. I mean, first off, I just want to express a lot of empathy. I, I am not someone who quickly moved past my, you know, my experience. Right. So I, I, you know, Jimmy, I think you, you know, you read the book or have read some of my posts about it. And like when I left Moz, I had a ton of, of heartache and, and pent up anger and, um, disappointment in myself, disappointment in my choices, disappointment in other people. So, so I don't think that's something you just, you, you could just casually sort of, yeah. Like asking people to just forget that stuff, like forget the past, move on. Yeah. It sounds fine. Right. It sounds like reasonable advice, but that's not how human beings behave. Mm-hmm. Right. We are, we are often prisoners in our minds, in our emotions, in our, in our physical bodies too, right? Like, I, you know, you feel that like phantom pain of the past when something comes back up and it, it, it triggers your um, responses from, oh man, I remember an experience like this. Yeah. Um, it hurts. It, it reminds me of that consciously or unconsciously. Sometimes it is unconscious. Mm-hmm. And in those moments, we often make irrational, illogical, or decisions that seem irrational, illogical without the, you know, the understanding of, of our own histories. And, um, and so I have a ton of sympathy for business owners who have gone through this and then who are reticent to be able to, to move out of that mentality and mindset. My, my advice on that is, is twofold. Because of this, mm-hmm. I, would, I would seriously urge you to uh, invest in some healthy mental and emotional um, practices that mm-hmm. could be that could be therapy. I, that certainly is successful for a ton of people. Uh, that could be um, self care. That could be uh, for a lot of people. It is improving their sleep habits and improving their uh, eating habits and improving their physical exercise habits. Those things often correlate with sort of getting getting better from that. And then also from a business perspective, right? Just the, 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 the logical way to think about things in an economic recession or potential depression that we're facing is to look at who still has budget, who has money, where does demand sit? How has that changed from the past? So rather than saying, how do I make my old business work? 
The, mm. the, the answer, the question might instead be, what should my new business be? Mm. And that should depend on who are the customers that still have money? What are the problems that they are now facing that they weren't potentially facing before yeah. or that they are still facing? Uh, and how do I help them in a way that uh, appeals to their current sensibility and their sensibilities going forward, right? And I think that involves a lot of customer conversation and customer research. I think that involves uh, listening to and paying attention to the sources that your customers are paying attention to so that you're part of that conversation. You're mm -hmm. in the flow with them. You know the things that they're exposed to and not. You know the language that they're using and the um, pain points that they're feeling. And then I think there's there's also an aspect of just looking at raw dollars and economic flow and saying like, oh, I see that there's still a lot of dollars flowing through whatever. I'm, yeah. serving, I'm providing B2B software. There's still a ton of dollars flowing through the healthcare system and the legal system. Yeah. I wonder if I could build a healthcare and legal-based practice and, and pivot my positioning towards those sectors, right? Yeah, yeah. And what, yeah. Of course, just want to add there before you jump into the next question here. Um, what you're describing is something I'm seeing here in the north end of Boston. So the north end of Boston has about 100 Italian restaurants that surround our office here in Boston. And everyone's doing takeout. And everyone's doing poorly because everyone's doing takeout. Yeah. So, so I read in the I read in the Boston Globe yesterday one of the uh, one of the restaurants whose entire kitchen staff is Salvadorian and Mexican decided to pivot from selling you know pasta primavera to selling you know tacos. And, yes. And, and I don't think it's going to work because he's like I got to sell ten thousand tacos a month to pay my rent. Um, but it's at least a, it's at least in the right direction, which is to say that like. You know, if you, you're reacting to the environment, that's what I'm hearing you say. It's like react to the, the new environment that we're in and let yeah. your business strategy fall in line with that as opposed to trying to sort of recreate the past, which is no longer really an option for most people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, other things to think about, right? If you, if you take this analogy of here's a business, right? An Italian restaurant in the North End, which yeah. has relied on walk-in traffic from all these tourists and, and lots of folks who associate that neighborhood in Boston. I've been there plenty of times too, right? And you, you have that association. But imagine saying, oh, what do customers need? Well, they need diversity in their, in their food choices, right? So let's offer some different options. Uh, could we, how could we serve uh, different kinds of places, uh, people who still have money? Well, there's a lot of businesses that who, where every employee is working from home. I've seen a few Seattle restaurants do this, where they've gotten in touch with business owners, mm -hmm. right? Uh, CEOs at a bunch of little uh, small and medium-sized tech companies, their HR teams, and been like, hey, would you like to do a mass order and we'll deliver to all your employees who are working from home right now? Mm -hmm. That's a good way to sell a lot of tacos, right? And, and in bulk with yeah. some sort of structure on a consistent basis, right? So you're, you're, you're looking for where does money still sit? Where does opportunity still sit? And then trying to find that intersection. But it's tricky. I mean, one thing, and this is sad, but a lot of people, their net worth is their home. We work with real estate agents. Most sure. of the people watching this are real estate agents. And so if you lost your job and you're going to be unemployed for a while, that might cause you to need to sell your home to get into that equity so that you can survive. Yeah. You may have to become a renter again. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's tough to say, and that sucks for the people that are going through that, but that is a shift that's happened. Another thing, unfortunately, most of the economists are predicting that our home's values 
over the next year are going to go down a little bit. Yeah. Not like before, not like 08, but you know, a lot of the places are saying maybe a two or 3% decrease in the value of your home. Well, now all of a sudden, if I want to sell my home, I might need to do it a little faster because now the longer I wait, the less it's worth. So I had a, a business coach tell me one time, like, we don't really care what the market's doing as long as it's moving, because if things are changing, that's creating new messages, new opportunities, new angles, really good stuff with the restaurant examples. Um, but you got to pivot, right? You got to be willing to pivot. You have to be willing to change. And I don't think the best strategy is to wait for things to go back to the way that they were, because you could be waiting a very long time, if not forever. No, you got to listen, right? You want to listen and pay attention to your audience and their sources of influence and the conversations that they're having. You want to have those direct relationships and those interviews, and then hopefully, you know, more data at scale so that that you can effectively make choices that are uh, changes, not just delays. Yeah. Well, speaking of changes, when I was studying marketing in the 2000s, let's call it, every guru and every marketing person like yourself were teaching the hub and spokes. They would say your website's the hub and the social media and email and LinkedIn and all these things are the spokes. And, you know, the spokes get people to the hub. Right. It's a pretty simple analogy. And I think people understood it. And, and in many ways, it's, it's still uh, a, an ideology or a principle that people follow. But what Absolutely. has started to really dominate the conversations, uh, whether it's from HubSpot or, or really sharp folks like yourself, is the flywheel. OK, so what I what I'm wondering is like a couple things. Number one, I'm a 58 year old real estate agent what the hell is a flywheel? Because now I got to learn this new thing, you know? And then the other thing I think about is, you know, whether it's Gary V or people like ourselves or whoever it may be, you know, people did start doing videos and they did start doing podcasts and they did start blogging and they did start doing email and they did start doing content marketing. And now it feels like, how am I going to turn the stuff I'm already doing into this flywheel? that I keep hearing about. So can you explain like what a flywheel is and how people watching can create one kind of thinking about the assets or the work they're already doing? Sure. Yeah. So first off, I would urge, (laughs) I think, unfortunately, this is, this is, you know, a potentially an area where um, Gary and I generally disagree. I don't love omni-channel marketing, especially for small businesses. I don't love this idea of you need to be everywhere. How come you aren't on Snapchat? How come you're not on TikTok? Why aren't you on Instagram? F that. Like, (laughs) Screw that. If you're a small business owner, a medium-sized business owner, Mm -hmm. and you have no desire or interest in Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, whatever, you're probably not going to turn that into a competitive marketing advantage for your business. I would urge you to instead focus your energy and attention on one or two channels that work very well for you, for your customers, uh, that they pay attention to, where you can provide unique value and where you are, uh, where you actually have passion and interest. Mm-hmm. I never ever have, have never seen someone, especially a, a, you know, a, a marketer at a small business or a CEO at a small business, never seen them say, God, I hate Twitter, but we're really good at it. Mm-hmm. 
but th- th- that's not that's not how it goes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so m- my suggestion is keep that keep that small uh, keep that single channel or or single two three sets of tactics in mind. If you're a bigger company and you have scale and you have a team, you have an agency, fine, right? You can you can be in a lot more places. Now let's let's talk about that that flywheel mentality around this. The idea of the flywheel is is not different than the hub and spoke. It's um, or it, let's see, it is not uh, uh, in opposition. It's merely orthogonal, although there is a relationship, right? So hub and spoke model is basically just why should I go build my marketing on property I don't control, mm-hmm. right? I should not make YouTube my hub. I should not make Twitter my hub. I should not make LinkedIn my hub. I should not make Facebook my hub because those platforms are not places I own and control. The only two things I own and control in my digital marketing are my website and my email list. Mm-hmm. So those should always be at the center. And I would still, from 1995 until 2025, yeah. probably, uh, I think those are the, the the two channels that you should dr- that everything else should drive to your email list yeah. and your website. You're starting to sound like Seth Godin here, Rand. <laughs> That's not necessarily a bad thing. I do have oh, a little more hair. Thing. As a compliment. <laughs> no, I, I mean I like I like Seth a lot. Um, the uh, the 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 idea behind the flywheel, mm-hmm. right, is that essentially you are you are investing in marketing tactics. Any set of them could be a handful, could be quite a few, but they work in conjunction in a way that each time you invest in them, each time you do the sort of the repetitive process of whatever marketing you do, whether that is I sponsor a podcast or I buy a billboard or I uh, uh, put up a blog post or I send a tweet, whatever those things are, that, that there's some way that each time you do it, you get better at it it becomes easier for you and your business. You reach more and more people as you do that thing more and more, and you have improved return on investment, mm-hmm. right? So, so uh, the simplest way I usually find to explain it is to explain how I did it at Moz in the early days, accidentally. Like we, I didn't know I was building a flywheel, it just turned into a flywheel, and then I was like, oh man, that model is sweet. Other people should do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for example, I put up a blog post, right? Each time I blogged, I got a little bit better at it. We amplified that blog post, right? I amplified it to the email list, the people who subscribe to the blog, the RSS, mm-hmm. put it on our on my social networks, right? And then those, more people subscribed, more people saw it, more people subscribed, people amplified it. My email list got bigger. My, my Twitter followers got bigger. My LinkedIn followers got bigger. My Facebook fans got more, right? Then... Then my Google rankings improved because I had put out more, you know, valuable content. People were checking it out. They were sharing it. They were linking to it. So now my authority has gone up. I can rank for, for more competitive keyword phrases. So now next time I publish a blog post, a few more people will see it. It'll be a little easier to amplify. It'll probably get some more links. It'll probably rank a little bit better. Everything else on my site will rank a bit better. Right. And so this this flywheel slowly, slowly, slowly at first is turning mm-hmm. and then it starts to turn on inertia. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I used to say if I wanted my first few years of blogging, if I wanted to get a link from another website, it was like pulling teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I I'd get one link. I'd walk home cheering. If I wanted to get 100 links, you know, 10 years into blogging, 
I had to do one thing, hit publish, mm -hmm. right? Because that flywheel was spinning. Yeah. I was spinning on inertia. That's, that's the model that you want to build. And you can do this with advertising. You can do it with PR and press. You can do it with sponsorships. You can do it with a podcast. You can do it with a video channel. You can do it with any form of marketing. Yeah. Just You want to think about it in this way. If each time you're doing the thing, the marketing thing, it's just as hard as last time and the ROI is just the same and you're not finding efficiencies of scale, you do not have a flywheel. Yeah. You might want to think about changing that up. And the best businesses in the world, according to Jim Collins, are built on a flywheel. You know, Jim yeah. Collins wrote the famous book, The Flywheel Effect, and he profiled Amazon. And Amazon, you know, called Jim Collins in after the dot-com bust in 2000 and said, hey, how do we figure out a way to sort of like, you know, resurrect this business? Because everyone's publishing articles saying Amazon is, is done, Amazon.toast, Amazon is burning, you know, it's burning down. And he talked about this idea of develop your flywheel. And, and what I wrote down as you're talking through that was this idea that a flywheel has a reinforcing effect. Yes. And I think this is one of the most important concepts that our audience can, can learn from here, Rand, because oftentimes we think about marketing in a singular fashion. Publish, you know, post something, promote something, and then we sit back at our desk and do it again. And it's like the results maybe get incrementally better over time, but what you're describing, and, and we're going to push our audience here, Rand, to, to enter into what we refer to more as like, the expert level of marketing, something beyond just the generic kind of like be active on YouTube, be active on Instagram, be active on social. We're, we're, what we're trying to say here is that there's a fundamental framework that needs to exist in your marketing strategy that can actually make your business scale a lot faster and a lot more efficiently than the traditional method of just simply publish something, post it, share it, and then rinse and repeat. On that same note, I want to talk about the consumer for a second. One thing I've seen you start to shift towards, whether it's with SparkToro or whether just something you've been tweeting about more recently, is you seem to, to be maybe more dr drawn to over the last few years in terms of obsessing over the audience, the yeah. people that you're marketing to. And, and this is just my personal observation. I, I want to start by asking you a, a fundamental question about the, the modern consumer how has the modern consumer changed over the last few years from your perspective? What, how has their buying behaviors changed? How has their searching behaviors changed? How, how, do they, how do they share recommendations? Like, What have you seen and observed about the way that modern consumers make decisions that's maybe different than what we've seen in the past? Sure. Uh, let's see. I think that there's a few really broad things that I could say, right? So uh, uh, people are um, much more impatient than they were five years ago. Five years ago, they're way more, way, way more impatient than they were 10 years ago, yeah. Yeah. 10, 15, right? So, and by impatient, what I mean is that um, the best, sort of the most successful technology companies in the world, Google, Facebook, Amazon, you know, et cetera, uh, have made things so blazing fast, right? Have made experiences, online experiences so blazing fast that any delay feels to us uh, foreign, right? It feels uncomfortable. It feels new and painful. Mm -hmm. um, the, the existence of our mobile devices has made us uh, far less willing to be bored for a little while, mm. right? So, I think that is a fundamental shift and change. We should definitely be aware of that. Uh, at the same time, 
the, the technology has also shifted to be vastly more personalized. Mm -hmm. So we are used to getting things in the language of our preference, mm -hmm. right? Oh, your website doesn't offer Spanish language and, and support for uh, you know, uh, German and support for French and Italian and Portuguese and et cetera, et cetera. What do you, why? Mm -hmm. That's great. That's wild. That doesn't make any sense to me, right? All the other places I go on the web do it. And even when they don't do it, Google Chrome does it for me or Firefox does it for me. So that there's, there's that aspect. Um, I think there's also a lot more uh, assumption of, or an expectation that you know me, mm. right? So when I interact and engage with advertising on the web and it's, for things that I don't like or don't care about, I'm, I'm offended. Mm -hmm. How, how dare you show me this irrelevant advertising, mm -hmm. right? which is, which is very funny to me, especially um, in regards to uh, privacy issues, right? Which sometimes people complain about. I, I think for actually for the vast majority of Americans, most people don't don't really care that, that much about privacy and are sort of willing to sacrifice all their privacy for slightly more relevant ads. But um, we, we can take that as an aside. Uh, I, I would say that that's the macro level, but the micro level, when you go down into the details for each different business and each different set of customers, those things I just talked about, they fade away a little bit into the background and the, what comes into stark relief are the, are the changes and the shifts in behavior that your particular audience has. Mm -hmm. And those, those are often very, very different from sector to sector, right? The behavior of chemical engineering buyers of um, uh, you know, pipes and materials for plant construction is way, has changed in a very different way from the buyers of B2B accounting software Mm -hmm. uh, for small businesses, right? Those are. Well, yeah. yeah. And for some reason, Rand just froze there for a second. But Chris, what I'm hearing Rand say here is like being impatient, expecting everything to be personalized, and finally making sure that it's relevant are the trends that are macro relevant for every industry. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in real estate, if we bring it back to that, in real estate, whether we like it or not, Jimmy, mm -hmm. one of the massive changes is that people, or I'm just, I'm just talking Rand about in the real estate industry, when you talk about how have people in your niche or your vertical changed. In the real estate industry, whether we like it or not, mm -hmm most consumers are going to end up on Zillow and by ending up on Zillow, they're going to see your competition. They're going to see data. They're going to see listings. And the, the idea that we ignore that that's happening versus figure out how to get better because it's happening. Like it's, it's incredibly frustrating. Like imagine you're a realtor Rand and you go to somebody's house and they tell you how much their home's worth. That's, that's different. And then, yeah. by the way, they're quoting a website that says how much their home's worth that happens to be potentially very wrong about that quote. But because they're on Zillow and because Zillow is this brand that they like and that they trust, they're more inclined to maybe trust the website than to trust you as the local expert, right? Yeah. 
So it, it, it's true. And even in our industry, um, you know, we sell software and marketing solutions and services to real estate agents. And even, you know, seven or eight years ago, when we first started, a lot of the stuff that we were selling, Jimmy, they had never even heard of. They didn't even know what a landing page was. They didn't know what user tracking was. They didn't necessarily understand how integrations worked. And now, you know, I'll be talking to a real estate agent and, you know, I'm kind of thinking, oh, they don't really know how this stuff works. And it's like, so tell me about your landing pages. You know, so the the buyers have become smarter, I think, in every industry. I call it the WebMD syndrome. You go to the doctor and tell them what's wrong and then they have to backwards dissect it. But I think it's really important to just like map that customer journey, be honest about the way it works, understand that like you've got to figure out where you can insert yourself in it. Um, There was a we were helping real estate agents follow up with Zillow leads because a lot of them invest in Zillow and they would say, hey, I found a home on Zillow. And instead of saying, oh, well, Zillow, you, you can't trust them. You, you never, like, instead of saying that, say, oh, did you use their website or their mobile app? Which, which one did, did you use to find the house? To where you're kind of embodying it and embracing it more than fighting against it. Um, yeah, that- yeah. Well, and this is, um, I mean, one, one interesting point around that is that it's, it's very different for different communities as well. So certain, um, certain sort of uh, levels of wealth, certain demographics, certain geographies, there's a ton of that adoption, right? In Seattle, it's not Zillow, it's Redfin. Like yep. everybody here uses Redfin. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, didn't, we didn't use Redfin as our buying agent, but we absolutely use the app. We and our real estate agent all use the app, right? Uh, the, um, the other interesting thing that I found in talking to our real estate agent is he was like, yeah, yeah, in Seattle we do it. But when I go down South, no one, no one uses Redfin or Zillow. They're not even really using the internet all that much. Yeah. They still rely on me, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's like that human touch in these more uh, sort of outer suburban and rural areas and different communities. It's like, oh, this is crazy, right? <laughs> like, how wild is that? So I think this is, this is a really important reason to pay deep, close attention to the customers that you're serving, right? To stay mm-hmm. close to them, to listen to them, yeah. Um, to have those conversations and try and get that data both individually and at scale. Yeah. I, I have a couple questions there, Chris, as it relates to, cause Randy, it sounds like you recently either bought a house or sold a house in the last few years here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, um, so after I left, uh, or just as I was leaving Moz, I guess, um, my, this is, um, you know, good news and bad news. My, my wife and I both, uh, sold books that were published and, um, and my wife's father passed away and left us a little bit of money and Seattle real estate market is insane. And so all, all of those things had to happen, right. For us yeah. to be able to, to buy a house here. So, so we're going to ask some questions because we have, we want to talk about, we don't have that much time left, but we want to go over content creation and optimization, but we want to actually maybe dial it in on, on your consumer journey as a consumer Sure. And how you thought about buying real estate, right? So we have a rare opportunity because you recently bought a house in Seattle, which is a, obviously an incredibly expensive market, competitive market. So we want you to kind of put your consumer hat on and then put your marketer hat on, right? And we'll switch between the two here. Uh, one thing that's really interesting, though, Chris, is you're bringing up Zillow. I read in, in, in Zillow's annual report that the word Zillow is searched more than the word real estate right now. 
in the United States. And, and that to me just, just tells us that we lost the war here, <laughs> right? If you're, if you're a real estate agent, you have, you now have to a, adapt to sort of the Zillow first world that consumers are in. So Rand, right, I gotta, uh, I gotta tell you guys a crazy story. Please. Super crazy story. So I am, uh, it's 2007, maybe 2008. And I was invited to uh, Benchmark Capital, yeah. uh, a venture capital firm, uh, invited to their CEO summit to talk about SEO um, back, back in the early days of Moz. And I went down there and it was at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Half Moon Bay, which is crazy fancy. I had never stayed in a hotel room like this. Like it's a private villa that they give you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, I was sitting next to at dinner one night, I was, uh, sitting next to Spencer Raskoff and Rich Barton, mm -hmm. uh, and they're telling me, right. They're giving me the, the Zillow pitch, which I'm like, what do I know? Right. You, you created Expedia, like you're, you know, yeah. you guys are gods to me as entrepreneurs. And, um, and they said, we want people, we don't want people to search for real estate. We don't want them to search for homes for sale. We want them to search for Zillow. Mm. And I had this wake up in my head like, oh, that's a really good idea because then you don't have to compete with anyone for the traffic. <laughs> this was like me waking up from SEO to, uh, to that. So yeah, I ended, up, I ended up helping those guys early on in their uh, SEO journey. And we, we realized that that home value calculator, uh, mm -hmm. embedding that, putting it out on other people's websites, uh, giving them the ability to link to it to tons of real estate agents that would let them rank for homes for sale plus zip code, neighborhood, city. And then that that SEO journey became a, oh, I should just associate it with Zillow. Well, you just became public enemy number one in our audience here, right? <laughs> well, okay. And then, and then full disclosure, um, the CEOs of Redfin and Zillow both invested in SparkToro. Okay. So I, I, I recognize... I, I agree with you guys, right? Like it is really tough as a real estate agent to have to worry about these big tech companies coming into your space. Mm -hmm. And also I agree with what you said earlier, Chris, which is you, you kind of can't get around it. So you have to work within the system, right? You have to find a competitive advantage, something that's different that you do mm -hmm. that they can't do. And well, we, did, we did not use them to buy, right? We used a real yeah, estate agent. Exactly, mm -hmm. that's the thing is the human being is still at the heart of the transaction the technology is a part of the transaction yeah. uh, for sure. And, you know, one of the things, Jimmy, that we learned was that like a lot of Zillow accomplished it because a lot of people go to Zillow.com. They don't do any search. They yeah. just go to the browser and they type it in or they go to their phone and they pull up the mobile app. And I know that's one of the things that you've talked about, Rand, is the value of a brand. Mm. Like when you're a brand, like, in my local market, Avalon Park, East Orlando, you know, not the mecca of any uh, market. It's not New York City. It's not Seattle. It's nothing overly cool. But like Veronica Figueroa has a brand here. People yeah. know her. They see her signs. They go to her community events. They get her mail. They see her ads. So you, you can build a brand at the local level. That's one of the things that we really help agents do is like build your brand. Because yes. your brand is going to be more weatherproof than your than your blog potentially, yes. um, and and on the same topic. So let's let's pretend that one of your relatives, Rand, is a real estate agent. Okay, say your wife is a real estate agent. What do 
what do agents do or should they try to compete at an SEO level with these firms? Because there's Zillow, there's Redfin, there's Trulia, there's Realtor.com, there's Homes.com. And when you search for like a, a property type or when you search for a price range or when you search for a zip code, there's like dominant. And then you have all the national brokerages too. So Coldwell Banker and Compass. So like, what would your advice be when it comes to SEO to the local realtor? Because whether it's possible or not, people still want to believe it's possible. People ask us all the time, how can I rank? What can you guys do to help me rank? And honestly, half the time I'm like, why do you think we do social media? We do social media marketing and advertising because it's incredibly difficult to rank in the search engines. I've heard you say in other interviews, AdWords, right? You want to rank by, by the ad, that'll help you rank. But what would your advice be to a relative that wanted to do SEO that was a realtor? Um, I mean, I would refer them to someone else. I don't like working with family, but, <laughs> but, uh, um, but, but let's say it's a friend. Let's say yeah. it's a friend. Friends I like. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I, would, I would definitely say um, specialize, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, whatever you can do, specialize. Build a competitive advantage that is wholly different. Do not think about how do I rank for Seattle real estate, homes for sale Seattle, probably you might not even think about homes for sale plus neighborhood mm -hmm. or, or home values neighborhood. Those, those top of funnel terms, right, where people are, are typing them in at the top, they're not going to send you all that valuable traffic anyway, mm -hmm. right? That is people in the exploratory stages. They are not ready to convert a lot of the time. When they land on Zillow and Redfin and a bunch of these other properties and Trulia, right, that's not their conversion point. They're looking for information. And there's a bunch of people who are never gonna buy or sell a home at that level. Mm -hmm. However, however, if you hyper-specialize, right? If you say we are specialists in new construction, high-end new construction in Seattle's North End neighborhoods, and those are the things that we're gonna rank for and focus on, and we are gonna play the game of, uh, hey, Look at the top 10 most valuable homes for sale built in the last 30 days. Every month, we have a newsletter that goes out that, that, sh that showcases those, right? And you can subscribe to the email newsletter. We have, a, uh, we have a newsletter about properties owned by famous Seattle residents, right? Mm -hmm. Or we, we have a, you know, a, a regularly updating thing. And it's like, oh, do you see Dave Matthews moved from Wallingford to uh, Northgate last month? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, oh, fascinating. Hey, look, here's all the band members of Pearl Jam. That's 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 where they're moving to. Right. Here's all the like famous people in tech. Here's where they're moving and, and those sorts of things. Right. So I, I like the idea of specializing. You can specialize in a ton of different ways by by uh, market and geography, by type of house, by uh, you can specialize by type of buyer. You can specialize by. Um, uh, features of a home, right? So if you're if you're more looking for houses for uh, uh, older folks, right, ramblers that that don't have stairs. If you're more specializing in in selling to uh, folks like my wife and I who don't have kids, right? If you're more specializing in um, condos and townhouses, right? there's just a huge range of options. And I think specialization and then trying to when you say rank. Think about the keywords that attract the right audience 
for you rather than just the biggest audience? You know, it's crazy, Chris. As you're talking through that rant, rant one thing that came to mind is um, in order for a real estate agent or team to be successful, they may have to close 25, 50, 100 transactions a year, and that's a win for them. When we think about SEO, we are so drawn towards the appeal of volume. Yeah. You know, ranking for the the ten the words that are researched 10,000 times a month, as an example, or Honda. And what you're really saying is, no, Jimmy, like focus on the areas, focus on the quality of the traffic that can translate into an actual appointment for you versus worrying about competing at the neighborhood, city, county level. You know, um, one of the things I saw, I pulled this up, we were talking, uh, one of our clients, Amit, he actually has a video on YouTube where he toured Birdman's house. And the video has organically 219,000 views, right? And this is an example of like leveraging, you know, content marketing as a way to, to get, you know, a lot more exposure in addition to SEO. Well, Ram- Jimmy, I think this is where SEO and social can overlap as well, because the, what you're really saying is stack things, right? So homes for sale with a pool under 500,000 that hit the market in the last week in East Orlando, and then you have a, a fighting chance. But I also think that whether it's social and an ad you're running on Facebook, yeah, you're also, what Rand's saying is these types of searches or these t- this type of positioning yeah. is much closer to the bottom of the funnel anyway. And I do think that people typically start off homes for sale in Orlando, homes for sale in East Orlando, and then they get into price range, and then they get into bedrooms, and then they get into... Mm-hmm. new to the market and then they get into with a pool or with an office or in a school district and if you can combine all of those things which i think people call the long tail you know yep. now you have at least a little bit of a chance but you also are so relevant like we did an art we did an ad on facebook several years ago and it was the best homes for sale right now in blank city with pools for under 450 mm-hmm. i mean if it were me right now I would absolutely be thinking about the best homes where you can work from home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That would, that would be, that would be where I put all my effort because people are people who are home shopping right now are like, I got to get out of this tiny apartment. I got to get out of this, whatever it is. You know, uh, I'm fine. I, uh, the, the, the trend of city is less appealing to me than like a big space where I can, uh, go to. So does yeah. this have a, my house, the reason that I, that we ended up with this house is because the room I'm in right now, the one you're seeing is a, is a separate building. It's a little garden shed that the previous owners converted. Uh, and so I can have my office for Spark Toro yeah. here. And my wife, who's an author can work inside. Yeah. Right? And she's got her office in the house and we don't bother each other. Right. She's on phone calls doing research about, well, uh, about like nuclear devices and blah, 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 because she's writing about um, a, a semi-apocalyptic thing right now. But yeah, so I- And, and you're talking about SEO? And I'm talking about, <laughs> right, I'm talking about web marketing stuff. So we don't, we don't bug each other, we don't overlap. But I think this is that competitive advantage of finding a specialization, whether in re- you're in real estate or any other field. Yeah. Right? I think that is hugely valuable. You, you guys have specialized. Mm-hmm. Right. You you have specialized by by saying we are going to serve a lot of real estate agents. Right. We are an outstanding agency to choose if you have real estate SEO and web marketing needs because we have worked with a lot of them. We've seen what works and doesn't. Another SEO firm might be very savvy and sophisticated, 
but they haven't worked in real estate the way you guys have. So they don't have that specialization, that ability to help that you do. There you go, right? That, yeah. that is your pitch. Yeah, we tried to go into other industries and we, we crashed and burned because we didn't understand them. We didn't, like, you could bring, we can bring on a real estate client, grow their database, build them a beautiful website, help them capture leads. And we started working with like gyms and car dealerships and we didn't have the domain expertise, right? We didn't uh, and it's huge. what it makes, up, it makes all the difference, guys. So, so Rand, what marketing did your real estate agent do to compel you to hire them? Because I'm sure you knew 50 agents or you could yeah. throw a rock and hit a real estate agency. I, I mean, I will say I, I, I felt pretty shameful when uh, when Glenn, Glenn Kelman, the, the CEO yeah. from, from Redfin, uh, took Geraldine and I out to dinner. And I was like, dude, I... I got to tell you something. <laughs> um, so, yeah. uh, uh, but the, um, no, the reality is that, that uh, Geraldine had a friend uh, who, um, his, her husband, uh, Marcus worked at, at Am- works at Amazon, still does work at Amazon, uh, and had this amazing transaction, right? This real estate agent helped him sell his old place uh, and buy a buy a new place, and mm. um, yeah, the 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 deal that he got, especially for the Seattle market and the timing, the way the agent played it, I was like, I want that guy. Who is that guy? Tell me about that guy. So, <laughs> right. so let's, uh, well, Chris, this this is going to be so exciting and equally frustrating for our audience, right? So you you are a guy who has been the proponent of call it you know, build your brand, market your business, right? Build the flywheel. Yet, when it came to hiring a real estate agent, it was over a conversation you had with the consumer, which is through a word of mouth experience. That's right. So what I, what I want you to maybe turn, put your marketer hat on for a moment, if you were that real estate agent, because we have, the, our audience right now delivers experiences like the one you described every day. The problem is, is they don't take those marketable moments and share them. They just yes. wait. They just sort of like it happens. And then occasionally their clients will say, oh, yeah, I did this great thing with this client. And then all of a sudden you get a call. Hey, I'd like to work with you. I know you work with my friend. How would so, you? So Joseph, our agent, emailed us after our transaction okay. uh, and Marcus and was like, hey, I really appreciate uh, you guys, you know, using me. It's been awesome. Here's links to uh, uh, my Yelp presence, my mm-hmm. Google um, local profile, right? My Google Maps profile. I, I want to say there was a third one. Probably Zillow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe Zillow. And yeah. he was like, would you mind sharing this, the same story that I know you shared with each other, like with, with other people? Yeah. And, and I did exactly that. Uh, I think I did Google and Yelp. Yeah. So what would you do in addition to that? If you, if you were Joseph and I, let's say I delivered a world-class experience for Rand and his wife and, yeah. and I helped them buy the home of their dreams they put a review on Zillow, but the review, let's be real. Let's, you're, you both are writers, so it's probably a wonderful review. But decent. most reviews yeah, sound a bit like this. They were great. They communicated. They helped me find the home of my dreams. I recommend them. Now, if you look at most reviews on Zillow, they basically say the same damn thing, right? So as a consumer, if you got 65 reviews, and this one's got 64 reviews, and this one's got 130 reviews, you just really can't tell the difference except quantity, right? Yeah. So what would you do if you're, if you're coaching Joseph to help him take that experience that he had with you and amplify that? So he got a lot more out of it than 
just having a review on one of these popular websites. Yeah. So uh, to be honest, if, if I were Joseph, what I would have done is not asked for the Google Maps link, the review, not asked for the Yelp review. I would have said, hey, uh, Rand, I noticed that you've got a resources page on your blog where you link to a bunch of resources that you recommend and providers that you recommend. Could, could you throw me on there? Mm -hmm. That's what I would have asked for. Mm -hmm. Right uh, now, look, uh, to be to be totally fair, right? I, that is not true for every interaction, right? Joseph is rarely going to work with someone who has as you know, a blog as successful as Rand Fisher. Yeah. Well, not, not never mind, right? My success or lack thereof, right? Just someone who has a website where they rec have a page where they recommend things. Yeah, but that is far more personal. That is far more unique. That's something that none of his competitors can ever get. Mm -hmm. right? Because because I've never worked with them and I probably won't for decades, yeah. if not forever. Right. So that I think is a is a unique way to scale that. And I think this, again, speaks to the personalization aspect. Right. The, mm -hmm. the, the huge advantage that every real estate agent has over and every small business has over a Redfin, a Zillow, a Google, a, a, a Microsoft. Right. These big businesses, you have the personal relationship. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example from my own business. So Spark Toro, um, I don't, did you guys, I think you did sign up for an account, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've been using it and advocating and that's going to be our last question is what is it and how can oh, we sure. take advantage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, happy, happy to talk about that, right? But so, so everybody who signs up for a Spark Toro account, I personally go look at their account, I go look at their website and then I send them an email, just, just me. Like I just compose an email to Jimmy at, <laughs> to Chris at, and then, and then uh, that email is basically like a, thanks for signing up. Plus also I checked out your website. Plus also like, can we be helpful in any ways? Oh, here's a tip. I saw you're an agency. So here's a tip on how to like add more folks to your thing. Let us know if there's anything we can do. And then I have email exchanges and calls with our individual customers every time. Right? Every single person who signs up. That yeah. is completely not scalable. The founder of Zillow, like there's no way Rich Barton has time to email one customer mm -hmm. an hour, right? <laughs> Never mind every customer who uses Zillow. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. But we we can do that. Real estate agents can do that, right? They can they can recognize, oh, there's this is what's unique about this person. Here's how I can uniquely serve that. Chris, what I'm hearing Rand say here, and I get a few more questions, wrap it up. And Rand, we could talk to you for hours, man. And, and we should <laughs> sure. work. But you know, the, the thing I'm hearing you say is do the thing they can't. Yes. They can't scale personalization. No. So, so, so do the thing they can't. I have one question, Chris. I'm sorry. I just, I just, yeah. This thought's top of my mind. Have you referred Joseph to anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so in fact, um, Geraldine's mom, my, my mother-in-law, uh, used them to purchase uh, her her house and to uh, to sell her old place. Did he well, enable that, or was that just based on your own, you know, desire to sort of spread the word about a great a great agent? Uh, let's see. We it was desire to spread the word, but also um, Geraldine's mom is a can be a challenging person to work with. <laughs> I'm trying are, you, to, are you whispering in the shed right now, Rand? No, no, Geraldine would say much harsher things probably, but, but you know, she's, um, 
she's a fascinating person. She's Italian um, and, and, and can be, but can be challenging to work with. Anyway, we knew Joseph had the skills to be able to manage that relationship and to give her a good experience. Um, and he knew us, which was really helpful. So yeah, yeah, that worked out well. But certainly anyone who asks me for a recommendation, you know, I, I send them to Joseph mm. as well. Yeah, word of mouth. And that's LTV, right? The lifetime value of the guy before Rand. And who knows how he met the guy before Rand, yeah. you know? And by the way, maybe at one point, there was a marketing campaign that captured a consumer that became a great experience that became all the word of mouth. It's, yeah. it's, and that's the one thing with marketing, you can't always track it and trace it. And then, you know, so Lake real estate turning into eight, like it's, it's uh, Joseph's firm is Lake real estate. He uh, and Lake worked to do a, a campaign that targeted Amazon employees. Mm -hmm. And that is how they acquired the person who referred Marcus. Yeah. And then Marcus referred me. Right. So it was their and marketing into basically looking for, uh, Amazon employees. I want to say, I can't remember exactly how the campaign went, but I want to say it was either Facebook or LinkedIn targeting. I think it was yeah. Facebook, but yeah. right. You can basically say, Oh, works at Amazon. That means they're making a bunch of money. I know what Amazon stock price was this, this last quarter. I yeah. know that everyone gets their payout in May. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Rand, last question, what like spark Toro is your new baby. You've been testing it. You've been promoting it. The blog's great. The technology's cool. Can you give us the elevator pitch for Spark Toro? And then just off the top of your head, you know, you've been really obsessed. I've been watching you on Twitter on sort of helping people that do X use it for their purposes. You know, what is Spark Toro and how could a real estate agent use it uh, for the way it was built and what it was meant to be used for? Sure, sure. So I'll, I'll try and I'll try and narrow that down to just the real estate like use case. I think that'll explain kind of what SparkToro does, right? So one problem, let's say that you wanted to do something like what Lake Real Estate did here in Seattle and reach people who work at Amazon, but you did not want to do that through uh, Facebook ad targeting or, or LinkedIn ad targeting because it was just ludicrously expensive and everyone is trying to compete for that. Mm -hmm. And so instead you said, gosh, could we do something creative could we like find the podcasts and YouTube channels and websites and, and social accounts that are followed and paid attention to by Amazon employees? How would we do that? Like right now, the right, the answer would probably be, well, pre-Spartoro, right? The answer might be, let's go survey and interview a bunch of them. Like, let's see who's in our network and we'll talk to them and we'll see if we can find some overlap. But self-reported data on this stuff is crap. Mm -hmm. So what you really want to do is steal all of their phones, like go to their houses, steal all their phones and laptops, log into them, and then look at everything they follow and read and listen to and watch. And then aggregate all that together into a giant database and look at the Venn diagram overlap. But that is illegal and difficult. Mm -hmm. So instead, uh, you can use SparkToro, which essentially crawls tens of millions of social and web profiles, aggregates them together, kind of the same way Google crawls the web, aggregates them together builds these like profiles of individual people and then searches across them. So mm -hmm. when you search for my, you know, my audience uh, uses these words in their profile, uh, Amazon or uh, AWS or um, a particular hashtag that they might use in their content or shares, uh, some, a topic that they frequently talk about, 
right? So, so you might see, well, a lot of people talk about uh, real estate, but that, that doesn't help me because those are mostly real estate agents. However, I know that a lot of Amazon, stock, Amazon employees talk about Amazon stock price and are located in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Let me find those people. What do they listen to? Oh, sweet. Look at this podcast. No one's sponsoring it. Sponsorship is like $50. Mm -hmm. Win. Mm -hmm. That's, that, that is essentially what SparkToro helps you do. It, it is not prescribing the tactics. It's merely giving you the data of if you can describe an audience's behavior yeah. uh, or attributes, SparkToro can tell you what they listen to, read, watch, follow, pay attention to. With the level of sophistication that exists within YouTube ads, within AdWall retargeting, within Google remarketing, the ability for you to say, identify what your audience listens to, watches, or, or reads, right? And then be able to target those individuals. Like the platforms have gotten so sophisticated where you can do that, where I think a lot of people struggle is exactly what you guys are solving, which is identifying where should my brand be and yeah. who should I be, where should I be marketing them to? Well, we it's frustrating, right? It's frustrating to have to throw money at Google and Facebook to do that, right? Because your ROI goes way, way down when your ad costs are super high and you're competing with everyone for that attention. Yeah. You can find sources, uh, podcasts, YouTube channels, where you can get organically mentioned, right? Sometimes you can pitch to be a guest on those shows. Sometimes yeah. you can pitch to write a guest editorial for some, you know, uh, uh, whatever, the Capitol Hill blog that a bunch of Amazon employees read mm -hmm. and talk about like why real estate prices have gone so crazy in the city, even during coronavirus. Mm -hmm. like, what, what is driving that? Why is Seattle one of the only markets? Let me pitch a, let me pitch a guest post. I can, I can speak to that. Yeah. Boom. Right now you, now you are getting into the minds of people that you want and what did it cost you? Right. It, it didn't, it didn't cost you any ad dollars, mm -hmm. just your time. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, I, I could talk to Rand for hours. I know we got, we're out of time here, my friend. Uh, SparkToro.com. Is that correct? You have a .com, Rand? Yep. SparkToro.com. We are Yep. Uh, SparkToro.com. We're users. We featured it on what's coming next, which is rapid fire a few weeks ago. We're always paying attention to what you do. And just a quick shout out to Rand because uh, we had April Dumfer on the podcast not too long ago, and uh, I discovered her through Rand Fishkin's tweet. Speaking of word of mouth on Twitter, follow smart people and you learn smart things here, Chris. So, Rand, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate you. Stay safe out there in Seattle, my friend. And uh, I know our audience got a ton of value. You guys can connect with Rand at sparkturo.com or follow, our, follow him on Twitter, which he has 433,000 followers on Twitter at, uh, I think it's just Rand Fish. I, on Twitter. Thanks, Rand. Thanks, Rand. Thanks so much Cheers, for having Rand. me, guys. Thanks Take for care. fighting the good fight. Yeah, you too. Yeah, we're trying. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. And uh, we didn't mention his book, but Lost and Founder is the book. Uh, it's on Amazon. It's a great read and uh, really a very transparent and uh, intimate behind the scenes look at the challenges of building and growing a business when there's so much pressure. Uh, to, to make it massive and to make it amazing. Yeah. Um, so Lost and Founder is really cool. So, Jimmy, for rapid fire, yes. we're going to wrap it up here. The whole point of it is we go fast. But, I, you know, Rand is one of those guys that you could probably interview for several hours. Yeah. Because his knowledge of marketing is so deep, he does a lot of new stuff, 
Mm-hmm. He does a lot of the old school stuff. Mm-hmm. He actually started blogging in 2003. He started using Twitter in 2007. Yeah. He's a very early adopter. Um, and I think Spark Toro, like when people like the CEOs of Zillow and Redfin invest in something, hey, you know, they're, they're pretty damn sharp. So everybody should check it out, run a couple searches. I, I was actually curious what would happen if you search for a city, you know, because then, you know, what are the people in my city watching and listening yeah. to things of that nature. But Jimmy, rapid fire, this is a quick two, three suggestions, apps, uh, technology, books, blogs, podcasts that we love. This is a special edition. Product mm-hmm. Hunt did a really cool thing. They basically are trying to highlight products created by black people. So technology and software solutions that the creator, they call them makers, are black. So we looked at the list and there's some great technology. Yeah. Literally two out of the three recommendations that we're about to make, we were already using. Mm-hmm. Um, and one is new. So Jimmy, talk about Lattice. What is Lattice? Yeah. You know more about it than me. Uh, I try to stay away from HR. <laughs> Man, you and I both, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> what is Lattice for people that don't know? L-A-T-T-I-C-E, Lattice. You know, so when you go from being an individual agent to running a team of 20 people, 30 people, 100 people, you have to have some HR software in place. Mm-hmm. This is where you do performance reviews. This is where you have accountability. This is where you, you, you manage just, you know, feedback from your employees. So Lattice is, is, is a new product that essentially is allows you to organize all of the information around the people that work for you in one place. Mm-hmm. It empowers you to have better conversations with your employee. It becomes, Chris, what I think is the, the representation or the, the record of choice for your culture. And you can look back retrospectively and say, hey, looking at our entire company, our employee satisfaction or our customer or our employee happiness is trending up or yeah. trending down. So we can do something about it. So Lattice is a company that's co-founded by a black individual and we use it at Curator and we're thinking it's just a ton of potential for those of you who have larger teams. If you have a two person team, you should use it. But for those of you who are listening, who have a 10, 15, 20 person team. Brokers. Yeah. Brokers. You got, you got to have something to order. Listen, Chris, I'll just say one thing. I know it's rapid fire, but like, Everyone needs to pay more attention to the happiness, fulfillment, and satisfaction of their employees now more than ever. Lattice helps you do that. Well, I agree with that. I think what happens is we all, we're always so focused on our customers that we forget about our staff. Yeah. And then now everybody's remote, which makes it harder. Yeah. And now there's a global pandemic, which makes it harder. Mm-hmm. And now there's an economic downturn, which yeah. makes it harder. So it's something we've been dealing with and it's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for everybody. But at the end of the day, your employees and the people that you work with are the ones that communicate with the customer. So keep them happy. The next one, we've recommended stuff like this forever, Jimmy, stock photo sites. Yeah, we've recommended Unsplash and Pexels and a few others, but there is a new wave of tools out there that exist that allow you to find high quality stock images but Chris, there's a new one or relatively new one that helps address some of the issues with some of the other stock photo sites out there. Well, I think what's happening is people are wanting to be a little more woke. They're being more conscious of how many black employees they have, how yeah. many like black customers they work with. 
Um, and there's a great site. It's called nappy.co, nappy.co. And it's basically stock photos that feature brown and black people versus if you go to Shutterstock or if you go to Unsplash or if you go to Pexels, the majority of those photos are of white people. So nappy.co, smart idea. If you want to incorporate black people into your marketing using royalty-free licensed legal images, you can. And then Jimmy, the last one, you don't use this, do you? The last one is actually one of my favorite tools maybe ever created. Uh, I use it every single day. Um, do you use Calendly? I don't know if you're using it. I, I, I use Amberly. Yeah. <laughs> what I use. Yes, Jimmy is, is, he has an executive assistant, so he doesn't need this tool. But the last technology we wanted to point out, also created by a black person, is called Calendly. Calendly.com. This is a no-brainer. It eliminates the back and forth on scheduling. It connects to your Google Calendar. It connects to whatever calendar you use. You can put rules in. You can put in um, how long you want the appointments to be, the types of appointments you want there to be. You yeah. can create automated emails after they schedule the appointment that yeah. go out two hours before the appointment. You can say, you know, no more than this many appointments per day. Give me a cushion in between appointments. Mm -hmm. Don't let people schedule appointments too far out. It, it's amazing. Like Calendly is one of my favorite tools. In fact, if you guys want to see it in action, this is also a little bit of a plug. If you go to our website, you can go click right on the button that says uh, watch a demo. There's a video you guys can watch where I talk about Curator, how we can help you with your marketing, what our platform includes, the products, the services. But after you watch that, if you look just below that, you'll see my actual calendar. Mm -hmm. And because you can embed it on a website, which is nice. You can send it as a link. You can embed it on a website. And it's, it's real time. So it knows when I'm available, when I'm not available. So if you are interested in Curator, you can book a 30-minute call with me using Calendly. Uh, so that's definitely one where we're eating our own dog food. The water cooler airs every week. We are now live Thursdays at 5 p.m. If you go to YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, you can download the podcast. You can watch hundreds of past episodes. We had Rand Fishkin on. Jimmy reminded me of this. We had Rand on years ago, and mm -hmm. he couldn't get the camera to work, so we literally had him on speakerphone, and we held it up to the mic. It was not our best episode, but today was great. Make sure you guys follow Rand. Go on Twitter. Let him know that you were watching the show. Let him know that you enjoyed his appearance. You guys doing that helps us continue to get A-plus talent, A-plus guests. We've got a great lineup over the next few weeks. Jimmy, anything else to add? Man, it was a great show, Chris. This is, it's always a good show when I know it ends too early with the guests and I had a ton of more questions. We didn't get to like 30% of the questions we had here, my friend, but great show. Cheers. We'll see you guys next week. Cheers, everybody.